So I'm joined by David Breakspear. Thank you for coming on the show, David. Uh, thank you for inviting me back, Ashley. It's a pleasure. In our podcast, uh, from our last discussion, we highlighted the importance of education, even if that means going through alternative methods. If we want change to happen, we need to be prepared to make action ourselves instead of relying on other people. It's a decision that needs to be made. Are we to be a creature of habit or a creator of circumstance? For those that don't know, David Breakspear has experience lived within the criminal justice system spanning four decades. David decided in 2005 to use his experience in helping others avoid coming back to prison in a formal role acting as a peer mentor. David also studied criminology with the Open University whilst in prison and upon his release serves as a prison reform campaigner having featured at numerous events including TEDx and is also a writer for various news agencies. It could be a cut, um, it could be um, seeing blood on the floor. I mean, it, there's so many variables and so many perspectives. Um, for me, in respect to the criminal justice system, I suppose trauma really does come down to the experiences, negative experiences from childhood, um, along with um, mental health conditions um, that may have been brought on from, from um, indirect um, illnesses or something that I suppose is hereditary, if you like. Like I say, I mean, you've got the, the fight or flight response, but then you've also got the, the we're individuals. Um, you could, I suppose, if you look at it along the lines of a text message, you could have five people read exactly the same text message and five people would each take their own interpretation of that text message. Um, and all five people's interpretation could be wrong from the original intent of that text message. So, um, and again, it's like eyewitnesses for the police. Um, if you if you had a number of witnesses for one individual crime and you actually read the, the the statements together you'll probably find so many different perspectives on each statement of the same crime um it's it it, it comes down to i suppose um how how you how you see things isn't it um in my last sentence um i'd been unfortunately sent back from um, CCAT conditions to BCAT um, for security reasons. And when I got back, I'd seen one of my mates on the landing. And as I was walking around, uh, there was a fight in one of the cells. And then the two guys ended up basically half on the landing and half on the cell. And I just stepped over them and carried on walking them to talk to my mate. And, and they had been stabbing each other as well. So there was a little bit of blood and everything else. But it's, it's one of those things where, one, you don't get involved anyway. So you just kind of ignore stuff like that. But it, it becomes a norm. You not I don't want to say dehumanise because um, you don't get involved in prison because then you bring your own a whole set of other problems on top of you. So, um, but someone that's been in prison for a couple of hours or a couple of days or a couple of months or that, they go, ah! <laughs> Run, run off screaming so it, it's 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 it comes down to how you experience things as well and, and as i say i mean seen so much go on in prison that some things especially fights and stuff like that 
are so second nature, you, you just get on with your day and it's like as if it doesn't happen. Do you think prison desensitises people to trauma? Um, well, I don't know. Does it, does it desensitise or does it add? I mean, if you, if you think about it, um, the prison system, uh, especially if you've got, I mean, a lot of prisoners, you could quite easily argue, suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, especially ones that have had trauma. Um, but losing your freedom is a freaking tra traumatic experience. So anyone that's lost their freedom could have post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, it depends on how you lost your freedom as well. I mean, if you've gone away for a couple of weeks, all right, the trauma might not be as heavy as if you've gone away for, for murder, for life, and for murder you didn't commit. So it, it's, again, it, it, it's, it's different on so many different levels. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's prison. Prison is built on trauma. Um, prison is a, is, a, is a hive of PS, PTSD sufferers. Um, coming out of prison um, can also be a traumatic experience. If you're coming out to nothing, you, you, you may have done 10 years in prison, you've come out and everything's changing. I mean, who knows what it's going to be like in 10 years' time. We might actually have the skateboards they had on Back to the Future where they hover. We might actually have hovering cars. I mean, 10 years' time is a long time, but it isn't really. And once technology gets to a certain point as well, it flies. I mean, it wouldn't, you wouldn't have been having to do that long without going to a self-serve um, petrol pump and not knowing what to do. Um, and that could make that, that could create embarrassment, which is trauma. Do you know, and things like that people don't seem to think of. Um, I mean, self-serve checkouts—they haven't been around for long. That can really cause someone a lot of anxiety. Um, I mean, I've used them a couple of times, and I hate using them. I can't get used to using them because they, they're not something that's the norm in my life. I wasn't. I didn't grow up with them. They weren't in the media. Um, I was in prison as they were coming out. So um, when I come out and see all these self-serve tills, it's like, what the hell? I mean, where do all these come from? It's like, um, so it, it does, uh, so little things like that. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, prison, prison very much is a, is a melting pot of people with trauma. Staff as well, especially staff that serve in the, in the armed forces. Uh, I mean, post-traumatic stress disorder, is something that a lot PTSD has something that soldiers, only soldiers get. So you've got ex-forces going into the prison system, you've got ex-police going into the prison system as staff that have seen traumatic or have had traumatic experiences before they've gone into a job that is a melting pot of trauma. Just out of curiosity, how do those in the armed forces deal with being in prison, whether that's staff or prisoners? From prisoners, um, it depends because um, obviously nowadays you've got um, a large uh, Muslim contingent in prison. So there's that fear alone from someone saying that they're ex-forces um, or they're, they're in the army or in the armed forces going into prison. Um, and, and what doesn't help obviously is, is the, the radicalisation that goes on in prisons and especially the media coverage of the radicalization that goes on in prison. So 
you can imagine someone that coming out of the forces, never been in prison before, going into prison after seeing all of this going on, well, I ain't going to tell them I've been in the forces, which is unfortunate because they could miss out on a lot. Um, say a lot. I mean, there are there are organisations and charities that are solely there for um, ex-armed forces. So um, you've got that issue alone. And then you've got the ones that can handle it uh, because they, they and this, this is for staff as well, they get it. Um, they know what being away from family is like. They know what communication with family, how important it is. They know how important personal possessions are, even if it's a torn notebook. They know how personal those possessions can be to somebody. They know how um, emotionally attached to a photograph a prisoner can be because they've been um, serving thousands of miles away from home in war zones. So please, I don't want anyone to think that I am comparing prison to a war zone. I'm very not. What I'm comparing is the life of someone in the armed forces away from family to the life of someone in prison away from family. I suppose in life, the only, the only um, comparison that could ever be made to prison would be that of the armed forces because you're, you're away from home. You're, you're, if you like, under the control of others, um, whilst also um, trying to be there for your peers, if you like. I mean, it's, it's, they're, they're very similar experiences, um, but obviously I wouldn't compare them. So, yeah, I mean, you've got the camaraderie as well between former uh, ex-forces and prison staff. There's not because of... Um, prison staff maybe in ex-armed forces themselves but uniform to uniform you, you kind of there's that I mean I, I, I cannot even imagine what a uniform to uniform um, um, commonality is because I've, I've never had a uniform so but I would have thought that an authoritarian uniform and someone else in an authoritarian uniform would connect they'd have a connection if that makes sense mm. um, uh, but then on the other side of it, uh, you also had the ex-forces that are very, in respect to a prison officer, they're very much, you get what you're entitled to, no more, no less. So they're yeah. very hard, they're very hard to um, to work, they're very hard to graft anything off as well. And they, and you can tell them, you can tell, uh, especially, not so much these days, I don't think, but the old school screws, anyway, you can tell, a lot of them used to wear the blakeys. Um, but the way they stand, you, you, just, you just know the ex-forces from, from the ones that come off the street, if you like. And um, uh, so, yeah, um, it, it's being ex-forces, going into prison, again, only through talking to people where I've worked in reception and the roles that I've covered, do I have any inkling towards their experiences in prison. But... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's um, again, very much down to the individual, but then you've also got a lot of down and outs um, because of the traumas that people have got involved with in prison. Uh, sorry, the trauma that people carry with them through the armed forces. They, they, they either, I suppose, deal with it and, and, and you get the ones that are really at the bottom. Um, where they're homeless um, and it's quite sad to see I mean I've, I've seen a lot of guys in prison 
who get respect that under normal circumstances, if they were that type of prisoner, they wouldn't. But just because they served in like the Falklands, it's like, I look at him the tramp picking up fag butts, it's like, leave him the fuck alone, bro. He's, he, like, he's done his bit, he's done his time. So, so it, it, it's quite, um, it's not something, if you like, you could discuss on a podcast. It's really something you, you've got to be able to witness, to see. I, I can't explain it. I've tried to, but it's very difficult to explain um, the, the role of, um, not the role, the, the nuances again, I suppose. I like that word. The nuances of the armed forces in respect of prisoners and prison officers and the effects it can have on either one and between either one and also on the environment. I know you said you wouldn't compare the two because a war zone is different to being in prison. Yeah. However, for some people, that being said, um, prison could be likened to a war zone in the fact that you hear gang violence that goes on. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I mean, riots. I mean, I've, I've been a few riots that um, in, in, in the establishments that I've been in, um, there have been mass disturbances, which is more prisoner on prisoner rather than prisoner against system. How would you say trauma influenced your offending? Um, well, to, to start with, um, I was young, so um, my, my trauma, I, I was unlucky as well. Um, between the ages of eight and nine, I, was, I suffered sexual abuse um, from a, I say a stranger, was a guy that owned a toy shop. And then two years later, I contracted meningitis. So I've had the sexual abuse two years later, I've had that. And then that same year, I also got a criminal record. Four years after that, I was kicked out of school. Now, unfortunately, we will never know what would have happened were I not abused and were I, had I not contracted meningitis. I'll never know. Would I have still got arrested at 10? Would I have still been kicked out of school at 14? I don't know. So um, it's very difficult for me to be able to turn around and say that the trauma was a part of, I leave that for the, the scientists and the, and the, and the experts. Um, but for me, uh, because not everyone that suffered child abuse as a child has gone on to criminality. Not everyone that suffered trauma as a child has gone on to become an alcoholic. Not everyone that suffered trauma has gone on to be a, a, a drug abuser. So um, it's just that in my circumstance, in my situation, I am someone that suffered childhood as a child, uh, sorry, trauma as a child, and then my life was what it was. It's, it's up to others to decide whether or not that trauma was, affected my criminality or was I a criminal that suffered trauma? I, 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 see, I can't answer that. Um, it wasn't until later on in life that I realised that that shit that was happening to me or that happened to me younger really was affecting me. Um, it, it was sort of, if you like, I suppose, demons that I carried inside. I never really dealt with anything. Um, but what did I know? I didn't know anything because I hadn't dealt with anything. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was. Um, I was living for living's sake, I suppose, in one aspect. And it wasn't until 2010 when I saw the clinical psychologist who gave me my diagnoses, diagnoses or diagnosis, I don't know, um, uh, who gave me my diagnoses that um, I finally knew 
not, I didn't have reasons or excuses, um, but I had reasons as to why I may have behaved the way I did over the years. And that then gave me the, I suppose, uh, it gave me something to work with. Um, rather than being this, 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 um, uh, out of his nut, jumped up, pissed up, violent, aggressive, selfish, irresponsible prick. Um, I might have had reasons behind why I was a selfish, irresponsible, violent. Do you know what I mean? So um, it didn't really become apparent until later on in life that maybe these issues were causing me problems. But it weren't until really later on in life, 10 years ago, that when I, when I had it on a plate, this is, this is what's wrong with you. These are the reasons why you were doing what you've done. I mean, I was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, dissociative identity disorder, borderline personality disorder, bipolar. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was I needed a suitcase to come out with a diagnosis that it gave me, along with ADHD. So, but again, it was like, okay, great. I've now got, I've now got things that I can, let me, what is DID? <laughs> it's all right telling me I've got DID, but what the fuck is it? Oh, okay, right, yeah, that makes So then I started looking into it myself. And once you start looking into things yourself, about yourself, you start understanding yourself. Um, and that's when you can really start to unpick them. It's like people say about picking over scabs and making them bleed. But there are some times when you take that scab off and there's nothing underneath. It's gone. And that's what I'm now doing. I'm not re-picking my scabs and they're, re -ble they're bleeding. I'm just picking the scabs and there's a scar there, but it's a very faint scar because of the way that I've been able now to take hold of them traumas because of the labels or the diagnosis, if you like, that I was given in order to understand who I was um, all these years. And then once you start that road along self-awareness and start understanding who you was, you can then, I mean, <laughs> you wouldn't open the back of a washing machine without an instruction booklet, would you? And start putting a screwdriver in, trying to fix it without knowing what you were doing. And that was really what, where I was. I've, I've been trying to fix myself in a contradictory way because I didn't know what was wrong with me. I got all these, oh, you need to sort yourself out. You need to change. You need to do this. You need to do that. Yeah, fine, I do. But what is it I need to change? What? Why do I need to change? How? I've tried doing this and I've tried doing that, but it hasn't worked. But as I say, once I got those diagnoses, it was like, ah, okay. Um, and I didn't use them as, um, as I suppose, um, cannon fodder to remain a victim. Um, I used them to become a survivor um, and, uh, uh, and to, to sort me out. That was it, really. That's that's um, that was, uh, I suppose, what it meant to me um, that I wasn't emotionally mature enough over. The, I, I didn't know the right questions to ask because I wasn't mature enough over the. I wasn't emotionally mature enough when I was younger to ask the right questions. I wasn't emotionally mature enough to understand what was going on. But then, as if you like, I allowed all of those all of that shit. And I had other stuff going on as well. I mean, I was the youngest of six and I was, I was forever being compared to people. It's like, fucking hell, no. Oh, you're not like your brothers. You're not like your sisters. No, I'm not. I'm like me because I'm me. But I didn't know that I was saying, no, I'm not. I'm me. I'm like me. 
And then when I got to secondary school, and the first year was about, I suppose, getting my feet under the table. It's a new environment. You've got to sniff your environment out and understand what it is where you are. Um, and, and junior school is huge. Senior school is huge. It's different from junior school. And then my my character, my attitude, my behaviour started coming to the front once again because you can only you, you can't put a mask on for too long without it dropping. And then I started getting told that I'm like my cousin, and I'm like, sweet, this is how I fit in. Before I was doing all of this, and I wasn't like anybody else, but now I'm behaving like an absolute bastard. I'm now like somebody. Great, great. I've got an identity, and both of them, both they had the the prison the, the school to prison ticket um that they passed down to me and, and why wouldn't i follow them i was just like them i was being told for, for what was it 11 years well not 11 years because say six five six seven years whatever it is from being a child to sort of those years where you start understanding what was it five so from the ages of five to um 11 being compared to my brothers and sisters you're not just like them you're not like them you're not like them and then at the age of if you like i suppose 11 12 i suppose it would have been between 11 and 12 being told you're just like someone and we're searching for identities we're always sort of trying little things out when we're young anyway so for me it was great this is what i need to do and then i managed to get myself kicked out of one of the worst schools in the in the county um I mean, one guy even wrote about it. Uh, he, he wrote a book, uh, uh, so a book more of a pamphlet. And at teacher college, they used to cry if they were given our school <laughs> to come to our school. It's like, um, and when you read things like that, you think, Jesus Christ, this is what I was trying to find. This is where I was trying to find my identity, whilst I had all that trauma going on at the same time. And trauma that I didn't know was going on because I didn't have a clue. I, I was a kid. I didn't know what was going on in my life at that particular time. And then not only that, so as I say, at 10 years old, my, my brain got put in a washing machine for a couple of weeks. And and, and this is how it turned out. <laughs> That's when you act out in different ways. I know from my own point of view. Yeah, I, I, I saw a brilliant TEDx talk um, from Scotland called uh, a lady called Madeline Black. And she talks about um, talks about trauma in a way that um, what we don't release leaks out of us in other ways. Um, and there was another saying I saw as well: it's it's so much easier to fix a broken child than to mend a broken man. And I, and I think those two together really do. It's um, but then it's about reading the signs because children are not emotionally mature enough to be able to tell you what's wrong. So therefore it comes out like it did with me in challenging and disruptive behavior okay. and because you don't get behind the challenge they see the behavior that's it they don't see what's behind the behavior and what they might find out what they might find out is this kid's been abused for the last three years sexually abused by the neighbor for the last three years say and what they're doing is they're putting them on detention for their challenging and behavior so therefore they're also validating the fact that they should keep things to themselves. It just, it has that, that, and it just perpetuates everything. And the longer that goes on, the longer that challenging and disruptive behavior is treated as challenging and disruptive behavior, what's going to happen to that kid? They're, they're just going to follow the same path. 
exclusion, secure unit, youth custody, adult prison, mental health hospital, morgue. You know, it, it's the same old fucking pathway until people start understanding that challenging and disruptive behaviour may be reasons for something else. Um, it's like when I was a listener in prison, um, we got taught, someone might come and ask you for a Rizla as a, prison, as a, as a, as a listener. They don't want a Rizla, they want to tell you about how they were sexually abused at 10, but their way into you is to ask you for a Rizla. So it's about understanding that. Um, all right, I mean, that's that might be a little bit, uh, it's, it was true, um, it actually happened to me. And I, um, I can guarantee you that I'm not the only listener that's happened to either, that someone's come up to you for an absolutely, what, what was it? And all of a sudden you're talking about their life because that was their way in. Yet so many people miss that, that opportunity because it's challenging, it's disruptive, it's poncy, it's, it's not how they behave. If it's not how they behave, ask why it isn't how they behave. Find out why they're doing something It's not how they behave. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, and, and I think we are getting better at it. Um, I think that childhood trauma is becoming more and more understood. Um, I think with what I'm seeing as well with the people that are becoming involved in the County Lines campaign, that they're coming out of County Lines. So the reason why children get involved in County, not the big bosses, but the reason why children get involved in County Lines is because these are the kids that have trauma. These are the kids that, um, if you like, are from one parent families and the mum or the dad can't control them because there might be five and six brothers and sisters and there's no way you can keep an eye on that many. So one of them's able to slip out the back door. Um, but he's slipping out the back door and he's showing challenging and disrupting behaviour because his mum fucked off, his dad fucked off. Not because he's naughty, because he's had that trauma. And as soon as a child acts naughty, they're punished. They're not understood. They're not asked the right questions. Um, but I, like I said, I think that that is becoming something that is more and more understood, more and more understood. How do you tell if a child is being traumatized? You can't expect a child to tell you. Um, you have to, you as an adult, not you as an adult, but as from, let's say a teacher, um, that has to come from them. They have to be aware of those situations. Um, I mean, for me, um, I, I'm not sure how blinker the teacher profession is, um, but they're there to teach. Uh, so are they there to learn as well? Well, yeah, they should be. They should be learning about the different uh, challenges, if you like, that these children face outside of school, that home life. I mean, that's why we have breakfast clubs now, so that the children that weren't eating at home, that even have got two parents, but the two parents have got to get to work. So therefore the child has to go to school to eat breakfast, to get a breakfast. Um, is that not traumatic? How is that not affecting a child that, oh my dad can't even be bothered giving me breakfast before they go to work and they're going to dump me off at school? Surely that's going to have an effect later on in life, if not dealt with in the right way. So 
we need to take a step back as adults and see what it is that we do to these children ourselves to see whether or not we're actually inflicting trauma that's going to be coming out later on in life. Um, and it is basically, how did we feel? Do you remember that really horrible feeling you got as a kid when you get pushed away or you get told no or you get embarrassed in public and you just want that, that ground to open up and swallow you? Um, that's what it, that's what you're looking for is, is that child with that look in their eyes where they're waiting for the ground to open up um even though they just smashed the window uh it, it's just it, it's yeah i mean i think it, it we really are we're quick to forget what it's like to be young i think i mean it's, it's stressful being old but it's stressful at least when you're older you've got a little bit more experience and may understand why things are happening to you but until you've got that emotional maturity as a child you don't know why things are happening to you you don't know what's going on you don't you don't know why this 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 guy with a london accent who drives a nice car is suddenly giving you 50 quid a week for, for a week or 50 quid every other day for a few days and then the next day he sees you and says, oh you know that money i was giving you any chance to do me a favor and of course you're going to do it for him because he's just sorted him out hundred quid in the last that's what i'm saying and that that allows that because we forget what it's like to be young as adults we perpetuate the candle line problem um, but i think in respect to change when it comes to the criminal justice reform and breaking away from a life of criminality i don't think that's a decision you take overnight i think it's something that's organic but I also think it's something that can be influenced and it's, it's something that can be influenced through those with lived experience trying to bring that light bulb moment quicker, if you like. How, how much of importance do you think role models play uh, within young people's lives? In a huge way. One of the things that I was able to do this time around in my sentence was to um, get an understanding of NLP, Neuro-Linguistic Programming and it was more to look at nlp itself how it was created rather than the program so like how did they come up with this program because I, I knew a little bit about nlp so um it was kind of back way back when and what they had done was they were looking i mean it's through the six the 50s and 60s and 70s i think it was and they were looking at people at the the top of their game um so you've got family counselors solicitors um bereavement council i mean a whole wide range of occupations people they listed them and they, they 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 investigated asked questions researched how these people were able to not only get to the top of the game but to stay there as well and kind of used that um as part of this this program on modeling which is obviously modeling your behavior um and i think if you've got especially in a criminal justice system if you've got someone um, with uh, a number of years experience then obviously that that youth if you like is going to have you'd like to think a bit more respect a bit more i suppose empathy um, or a connection uh, more than empathy uh, with with the person that is talking with the person that's gone into the school um, and that's what you're hoping to do. You're hoping to use someone's uh, 
lived experience in respect of, I mean, well, obviously we're talking about a criminal justice system, but it can be in any, any environment, but um, take someone with lived experience of prison and the criminal justice system and get them to work with young people um, because they know, I suppose, not, it's very difficult as a young person to understand what path it is that you're on, what path you're going down. It's also difficult to understand the right questions to ask. Um, they might know what's wrong with them, but they don't know how to express it. They don't. Uh, and if you've got people around them that are not used to dealing with traumatized young people um, or even traumatized adults, then they tend to exasperate the problem rather than to um, to kind of bring the problem to a a, 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 a sensible conclusion and a, and a conclusion that's that's beneficial for the young person um, rather than pretend to know what it is that they're talking about the young person gets frustrated and then loses any respect for that type of if you look at it as an authority figure um, a role model as an authority figure as well that um, they lose that respect as well so for me role models yet are an important part to play in a young person's life um, but uh, it's also about, I suppose, one way to look at it is horses for courses. It's making sure that that the right role models are in place and that the right influences uh, are in place in the right areas. How do you determine what is uh, a good role model and a bad role model? It might sound a bit silly question. Yeah, I mean, well, no, I mean, at the end of the day, you could consider me as a bad role model because I've gone through the prison system for so many years. However, you could also view me as a good role model because I've been through the prison system a number of years and therefore I've got the lived experience, not just of the prison system, but of the system for the, for the young as well, like Secure Unit Children's Home Detention Centre Youth Custody. So I've also got that lived experience as well. So, um, but as I say, some people are going to look at it and some people will look at it um, along the lines of it being that's a bad role model. It, it's difficult for anybody really to say what's a good role model and what's a bad. I mean, obviously a bad role model is going to be someone in a street gang, someone on the streets that's still committing crime, that's still involved in crime. And that these young people are looking up to say that they, they, they got the latest trainers, the latest motorbike, the latest push bike, even or the latest car. And they want that, and the only way that they can see that is through crime. Obviously, that <laughs> um, goes without saying is a bad role model. Um, so, when you look at the sort of position of a good role model, you're gonna you're gonna really want someone that that has been through it, um, and that, if you like, is that instant connection that the young people you'd hope will um, tap into. Uh, and uh, I mean, I, I suppose, I mean, I don't know because, I mean, hindsight's an easy thing to use, but uh, I don't know what I would have been like. I, I know what I was like when I was younger and I was with adults in a bad way, obviously in bad role models where I got involved in, in criminality to an even deeper level. But then when I was a YP at 17 um, in a man's prison, there were people there that were good role models because they were if you like showing me how to do prison um, but would anyone else say that that was a good role model uh, someone that was teaching me how to do prison so 
Sure, it's a good, it's good and bad in everyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. What well, would you say to people who who have the viewpoint? It's not my problem. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I was involved in a podcast earlier today, and and we the kind of that was the theme there as well about it not being society's problem. But it is. It's all of our problems. I mean, um, crime. Look, for, for a start, prison doesn't cut crime. Um, nor does it reduce reoffending. It just holds people that have committed crime. Uh, and until we start utilising them buildings properly, uh, it's always going to be that way. <coughs> so, with me just saying that, obviously that's going to cost a lot of money to keep our um, prisons full. Uh, and the, the knock-on effects of cost as well, if we just look at it from an economic point of view. So, most people in life, even people on benefits, are paying tax. Um, you're paying council tax. Um, you're, you're paying into a pot that this criminal justice system is taken out of hand over fist. So just as a taxpayer member of society, you're involved. So surely um, you'd want to, your, your money that's taken at source and probably hard earned as well, you're going to want that money put to good use and you're going to want to get good investment on your money that, that you've worked hard for and have no choice of, <laughs> you have no choice of say where it goes or how it's spent. So at least you'd like to think that your money that is being taken off of you for your hard work is being used in for the right, not for the right reasons, but to, to, to bring about the biggest return on investment possible. Like we had that discussion about education and, and just the fact of someone um, re-engaging with education and having a successful education journey, um, they provide a return of investment of five to one. So for every one pound spent on education, five pound gets returned. And that's that's not with them go, going on to become taxpayer members of society. Then it's even more because they're then putting back in to society rather than, uh, sorry, back into the pot rather than taken out of it. And it turns out, you're looking then at, that it becomes about 12 to one, 13 to one. So for every pound spent on uh, reforming a prisoner, if you like, you, you're gonna see a return of investment on 13 quid. That's why, that's why having a 13 to one winner every time in the bookies. You know what I mean? I mean, who wouldn't want that every time with their tax power, with their tax power? Going into a bookies and winning on 13 to one. Every, all right, not every time. You might have a few fallers. You might get a few that fall, that end up lame and need to get put down. But uh, eventually, <laughs> the, the, the return on investment, you're always going to be in front. Um, always going to be in front. How, how important would you say, or how crucial would you say, those um, early years, those teenage years are? For, for <coughs> Extremely important. Because... Um, one look at the statistics in respect to the pupil referral units and it will show you that children uh, the children that have gone into custody 88 percent of children in custody have gone through the pre school have been excluded from school that alone just tells you where the uh the system is being fed from it's being fed through school exclusions uh, and, and we really need to <clears throat> see, and, and that's another thing when it comes to trauma. Children are not, or young people are not emotionally mature enough to know how to deal with it. So therefore, it usually comes out as challenging and disruptive behaviour. And um, 
unfortunately, rather than look behind and beyond the behavior, adults these days are too quick to, to judge and just judge that challenging disruptive behavior as bad, naughty. Uh, and once you start punishing a child for, if you like, what they're doing is acting out because they're after attention, it's a cry for help. And you've got an adult punishing what the child is trying to get out, but because they're not emotionally true enough, they don't know how to express themselves the right way to tell someone what it is that the problem is. And that's where you see the challenging and disruptive behavior. I mean, yet you have got certain personality disorders or traits that will mean a child can be disruptive just through energy. Um, and I, and I, but I think once a child is disruptive and violent, I suppose, or, or um, just more, just that little bit more than naughty, just that little bit more than a pain in the ass, if you like. Once that child gets past that mark of, of challenging and disruptive behavior, you've got to start asking questions why. Um, you can't just turn around and go to, a, to a, an 11 year old child this child's bad, this child's naughty. This child's 11 years old for Christ's sake. How does this child know what it's expressing, what he, she's expressing? Um, it is challenging or disruptive behavior or how are they in control of it if that behavior has a background in trauma um, from, from violence, from abuse, bullying, whatever. Um, but I think as a society, we're too quick to judge challenging and disruptive behavior um, as people that are naughty or bad rather than try and look behind it to see what it is that's causing that behavior. There seems to be a big disconnection with parents and their own children left unresolved that lead that leads on to that just leads on to more complications. Yeah kind of yeah well I mean once you start expressing yourself in the wrong way it's going to affect everyone around you. It's got such a huge ripple effect. I mean, you could find that the child that's causing the disruption has got brothers and sisters. And just to keep things calmer for the brothers and sisters, they remove that child from the house. And they might even stay within family and he goes and lives with a nan or grandparents or um, with another sibling that may be older. That may be older. But again, it's exclusion. It, it's the more I'm trying to tell you my problem, the further it is you're sending me and pushing me away. So you can see then if a child is trying to express what they see as something that is affecting them and, and they express it in a way that an adult sees as, again, challenging disruptive behavior, the more that the child gets punished for that, the more likely they are to keep their demons deeper inside and act up for just for stuff it reasons. What's the point? Um, and therefore they turn evil, some of them. Um, and that's where, because it hasn't been dealt with, I mean, serial killers are not born. They, they grow into serial killers because in some aspects, serial killers, if you like, really are, uh, a negative reflection of society because as a society we have allowed a serial killer 
to act because of missing all the signs early on um, of the, again, it, it's come from somewhere and it doesn't just happen overnight. It gets built up. So people must notice what goes on and they must notice the change in character. It's, it's, you listen to the news and, and it's like, oh yeah, he lived with his mum, he kept himself to himself. How does that not sound a little bit strange? <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it was like, yeah, he, he sits in the garden and pulls the heads off of dolls and melts dolls' arms and things like that. What, no one intervened, no? You just thought that was good, like just normal behaviour. And, and that's what you hear. So obviously that kid's, I need help, <laughs> I need help. So it, it's, I suppose when, it, when, when it, it doesn't even have to be challenging and disruptive, it can also be weird and strange behaviour. Um, yeah, you've got fads. I mean, quite, I, was, I was a mod, a skinhead, a punk and a rocker in about one summer. <laughs> Um, and, it's, and, it's, and especially if there was a, 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 a pretty looking girl in a, one of the other gangs, that's it, I'm no longer a skinhead, I'm going to grow my hair and put a, put a wig on and become a punk because she's a punk, do you know what I mean? So you get them sort of fads and they're quite easy to spot. Um, unfortunately, what isn't easy to spot is the digital technology these days and how much of, these, these, how much of this stuff is online and how much of it is feeding, if you like, that, that, that negative need. Society and adults have a lot to blame. It's like that, that saying, isn't it, that African proverb about if it takes a village to raise a child, uh, it takes a village to raise a child. So, um, and it really does. And I think we really should take a, a little step back before we start judging um, these 13 years year olds that should know better why should you, how should they know better they're 13 how should they know better and what is it that they should know what is it that you want them to know um you want them to know the difference between right or right or wrong fine well they've been abused by a local uh, by a neighbor for the last four years so now do you want to teach them what the difference between right or wrong is they've been witnessing their dad beating up their mum for the last two and a half years. Now do you want to tell them and explain to them what right or wrong is or expect them to understand what right or wrong is? But always oh, a little bit challenging. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it's, so I think, well, I actually think I've met some, some uh, pretty decent people inside actually. And really we can't rely on other people. We need to, we need to be providing the individuals with the tools to be able to cope rather than provide society with the ability to spy even more and um, lock even more people up. Uh, because as I say, I mean, the, 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 if you like, criminal justice policy has, has sucked in social justice policy and we see more and more uh, individuals within the criminal justice system that really should be in the hospitals, um, psych uh, like, yeah, psychiatric hospitals, and mental health hospitals and that's the thing is mental health this is what it comes down to we need to make sure that um, we can remove stigma and discrimination that's attached to mental health it's it's just as bad um, with regards to the criminal justice system and having a criminal record that the stigma and discrimination that that brings but mental health isn't that far behind that and 
And I think the more that we can get young people to look at their mental health and to understand, not so much understand the difference between right or wrong, but understand the difference between what's happening in front of their eyes and right and wrong. Um, that they have got a voice, that they are important, that they are being listened to, that their fears are being allayed, um, and that their dreams are being aspired to as well. I mean, it's not just about the negative side of it, it's also about the positive side of it. And it's about, again, it, we can bring it back to the, the, the prison system, and it's about providing purposeful activity. But it's also about, and especially with, with children with trauma, it's about providing purposeful activity that not only suits them, so is holistic, but it's, and it's, but it's also something that will enable them to be able to deal with the trauma, get out of that, and also be able to kick on, because there's no point in, in dealing with the trauma here, waiting a couple of years and then being able to crack it. It's got to be a natural progression. And, and I think one of the starts of that is more and more and more mental health awareness. People need to understand they're not isolated, they're not alone. That there's a very good possibility they're not the only person that's going through this. And the more people that can talk about the real issues behind mental health and the real lived experience behind mental health. Um, in respect of young people, there's no point in me talking about how I my mental health was at that age because I didn't, I look at it differently now as I would then, if that makes sense. I've got such a better understanding of what it was I was going through back then that um, it's easy for me to have the answers rather than it is for me to understand what it is that children are going through now. So we really need to start, if you like, looking at the, the schools and looking at introducing mental health awareness days, weeks, months, classes, put it part of the curriculum, after school activities, whatever. But we need to make it that the, the talking about problems isn't it's okay to not be okay not everything's your fault um you're not going to be blamed if someone's manipulated you or someone's groomed you into county lines or into child abuse or child trafficking or child slavery or you're witnessing stuff at home that as a child you can't cope with and nor should you have to because you're too young so no whoever does say 13 year old should know better society should know better and society should get to understand that 13 year old before making that judgment of they should know better i um this afternoon i was just looking at um a news report of a kid i say a kid he's an adult now he lived around the corner from me and the, the news article where he got a sentence the judge told him uh you re refused to see a psychiatrist or gp at the ages of 13 he's 25 now so you had basically you had your chance you didn't deal with it and then give the young man a sentence for a long period of time but when i was reading that i was in shock i thought a judge this is an educated professional Actually, you, know what? You, you think that but they've only just started introducing mental health into the courts they've only just started really yeah there have been reports done in the past but primarily their probation reports and unless you are in the realms of if you like um being judged as having a psychological problem by the courts 
um, you are going to have um, that. But yeah, your normal, not run of the mill mental health, but your, your normal issues around mental health have only just been introduced into the court system. It's 2020. And they're only just talking about mental health. In, in, as, as mental health is the bigger picture. Do you know what I'm, I mean, obviously mental health has been discussed in the courts over the years, but never really something that's been taken seriously. Um, and uh, it, it's, for me, again, it, it's, <laughs> I had a conversation earlier, and it's, I had an interview with the, um, president of the prisoners education the prisoners education trust john samuels a former qc and he was saying to me that what they're looking at doing what he would like to see but he don't think it'll happen in his lifetime but what he would like to see is a system where a judge is more like a gp because you wouldn't go into a doctor sit down and the doctor turn around and say i know what's wrong with you here's some medication off you go a doctor's going to sit there and he's going to question the patient. He's going to ask them what the, what the symptoms are, what's, what's been happening behind why he's sitting there in front of him. And that is, again, it's looking at the individual rather than, uh, look, rather than looking at the crime itself, looking on that crime and, um, and, and trying to get a better understanding. And the more that we can, um, if you like, make not so much mental health aware, but to get a, a better understanding um, of, of, of the behaviours and sometimes what could look like irrational behaviour, but to the individual is, is completely irrational and get to understand that. We've all done stuff, we're like, oh my God, I can't believe I've just done that. Well, that can happen in respect of crime as well. Um, there's not, do you know what I mean? There's not that big leap between those two comments, uh, between those two environments that just for that one moment of, ma of madness, if you like. Um, now, should someone really suffer for the rest of their life for that one irrational decision made whilst in an episode of mental health? Uh, no, they shouldn't, should they? So, um, for me, it, it's... It, <laughs> I can, I, as I'm talking, I can hear, oh yeah, another excuse, yeah, oh no, it's mental health, it's mental health. But there are professionals about that can tell the difference. Um, I mean, I, I've been involved in quite a few psychosymmetric tests where I've tried to make myself look better. And they know I've lied. They know the, the, they know the people that are lied, do you know what I mean? So it's really it all does come back to, and that's what trauma's about. Um, trauma does not everyone goes down the i had trauma as a child i got kicked out of school i end up in prison not everyone with trauma does and do you know what congratulations and good luck to those and best wishes but not everyone is able to deal with it that way not everyone uh can deal with it in the same way uh, and for some people as our prisons show it comes out in other ways that um a criminal I think it's important for the audience to understand that in prisons, although a lot of violence happens, you have a lot of people who come out of prison and they're doing great work. They're using mm -hmm. their experiences whilst even still having trauma, 
using experiences to help people. Um, yeah, I mean, prison's trauma. It's quite a traumatic experience. Um, coming out of prison is quite a traumatic experience. Going into approved premises for the first time is quite a traumatic experience. Going into supported accommodation for the first time is quite a traumatic experience. Moving on to your own property after that is quite a traumatic experience. Or can be if the support network isn't in place to help um, help that individual through. And I, I mentioned all of that because that was my journey into freedom. So mine was sort of asked about face. My traumatic experience began not when I went into prison, but when I was, when I come out. That was when um, things, if you like, become real. It was reality again. It was time to put everything. I've, all everything I've been saying, everything I've been doing, it was time to put it in action. Again, it's very hard talking about trauma because um, I don't want to come across as if I know what everyone's trauma is. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I haven't got all the answers and I haven't got all the solutions. But I've got enough experience and enough visual experience that I've seen with my own eyes from, the, from other guys. Um, to see how trauma affects people and when it happens. And I'll tell you what, the majority of people in prison, most of the trauma started at a young age. And there are so many points of intervention that have been missed over the years, which is why I get so, not angry, but frustrated with society and with, with, with other people is because it's like, yeah, all right, fair enough. But what about you lot? I mean, look, when he was 13, we could have got involved there. When he was 15, look at the signs there. When he was 17, look what went on there. When he was 21, look what was there. When he was 23, look what was there. We can't keep expecting, um, yes, it's down to the individual to want to change. Um, and it's down to the individual to change. But it's down to us as society, as, as other individuals, to enable that change. Um, and to influence that change, to motivate that change, and to motivate that change to take place at an earlier age than, than a later age. <laughs> the earlier the better. Yeah, exactly. Early intervention. It's it's there for a reason. Um, and I think I said it to you before, Ashley, it's a lot easier to fix a broken child than it is to mend a broken man. I've done a podcast a couple of weeks ago with... Um, the Penny Mallory, who used to be, uh, she was the, I want to get this right, she was the first Ford uh, World Rally driver, uh, or the World Rally driver for Ford. Um, she was actually Colin McRae's teammate for a while. And I think she's only the second woman ever to drive for Ford in the World Rally Championships. But we were talking about mental toughness, and I've never really looked at prison as being a place of mental toughness. And it kind of, she got me to, ref not during, but after the, the podcast, it really did get me thinking about, do you know what? Wow, it does take quite a lot of mental toughness to not just get through prison and get through all the different scenarios and situations, um, but to get, to get through the bits after as well. Um, so I, I, I kind of, give mental toughness a bit more respect and a bit more credit now uh, in relation to, to getting through prison. As I say, it was something that I pushed to one side. If not something you want to promote, employing someone 
just because they've been to prison is good for your team because they've got because they probably developed mental toughness. But at the same time, if someone's um, using their experience to help other people and they've got that experience of going to prison, don't write them off. Look look at the way up. If you're going to look at the cons, look at look at negatives. You've got to look at the positives as well. Yeah, exactly. And if, if you take if you take America into consideration into account, actually, um, you'll find that those that have gone through the system and used like education or used courses, when they come out, you'll find that they've gone back into the system to work in the system to use their lived experience because they've had such a profound experience themselves and such a positive profound experience doing what it was that they were doing they can't wait for other people to do it because we know what is at the other end um we know how exciting the future can be once you're able to turn your back on on prison and once you're able to get away from crime and even in this country now we're seeing more and more people coming out of prison uh, and getting involved in campaigns, um, sharing their story, especially stories of success. Um, I don't know if it's because I'm I'm looking for them more, but we're, I'm starting to see the sort of media get more and more stories about someone coming out that's turned their life around and are now doing something else that is positive. Um, and the, the kind of, if you like, the more negative stories that we see in relation to our prisons are getting pushed further and further away. Because the more people that do do that, the more that the headlines are gonna to have to change because society and the public are gonna want the headlines to change because they're gonna get bored of reading about, they're seeing this new stuff now. So hold on a minute, what do I wanna read all this negative crap for? The world's a negative place enough as it is. Look at all these positive stories that go on in prisons, day in, day out, 24, 7, 365. There is just stories of incredible, stories of strength, stories of fortitude, and that's from staff as well as prisoners, actually. I'm not just talking about the prisoners. There's some fantastic stories that involve prison officers as well. Some fantastic stories of, if you like, uh, uh, prisoners that stick up for a prison officer. I, it's just, it, yeah. it, it should be, it should be a, doc, a documentary maker, uh, an author, uh, uh, a filmmaker. It should be their, their utopia because there's so, it's such a, a mismatch, such a kaleidoscope, it's the atmosphere, just everything, absolutely everything. If you want an area or an environment that has absolutely everything, in a in a in an hour, <laughs> prison's it. Prison's that place, and it's just being able to take a step back and to see it for what it is, and to see that all of those people that walk the landings and walk the wings are not bad people. They're just people that have made bad decisions. They're people that have had um, trauma in their life and made irrational decisions based on that trauma. They're products of society. And it's down to society to help them and pick them back up again. If you're going to look down on someone, don't look down on them and judge them. Judge them. Look down on them and give them a hand up. So would you say trauma can be healed then? Um, it can be lessened. Um, I think you will always, always have scars. They say that time heals. Mm, does it? Or does it allow you to be get used to it does it allow you to deal with it better does 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 that pain lessen 
just because of time. So trauma, as much, it's going to leave its scars behind. Um, it's, you're going to know, <laughs> yeah, I suppose, yes, you can heal it, but there's always going to be scars. I suppose the trauma affects them like myself. My trauma affected me or did it. I don't know again because I can't answer it myself. Although science and research tells me that, yes, it did play a part in the reasons why I was who I was. Um, so I, I kept my trauma compartmentalized, but I, ke I kept it compartmentalized in a colander rather than in a closed box. So every so often bits of it kept leaking out of these little holes that was inside this box. And then you get people, like I say, that um, they, they can't deal with it. They, 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 it. That's it, boom, gone, end of life. So um, it's, again, trauma is, is as subjective as education, as, as subjective as perspectives and, and so on and so forth. It really does come down to the individual, but um, at the cold, in the cold light of day, like you say, it comes down to choice and decision. You choose whether or not you're a victim or a survivor. What helps you to deal with trauma? Making those low, those low drops, making those last for as least amount of time as possible. Yeah. Um, and not dwell on them, realize and understand that, okay, Right, this, this is the way I'm going now. I'm going to have moments where I'm not going to be able to deal with things as well as I can on other days. So it's about accepting that. And it's not about, how come you're not dealing with this? Why aren't you doing that? Why? Aren't you? So it's about not beating yourself up. And on those days, I literally just sit on my armchair, turn the telly on, just, just accept it. Right, this is it. Give myself a day. When I wake up in the morning, I'm back to who I was. And nine times out of ten, it works. Sometimes it takes more than one day to do that. It might take me three days. It used to. It used to take me about two weeks, um, a week. When I, I mean, when I first come out of jail this time, and I was in, um, I'd gone through the approved premises, bell hostels, and then I was in supported accommodation. Um, and and it was just, I I kept having to tell myself that this was a temporary situation I was in. I was going to get through it, I was going to get through it, I was going to get through it. Um, but some days, it was hard. It was like, because I was in it. <laughs> it's like when you're in prison, it's like, I'm going to get out one day, I'm going to get out one day. But you're still in prison, so you're still trying to, you're having these positive thoughts in the environment that you're trying to fight against negative thoughts. It's very bizarre. Um, so, yeah, you just, as I say, it's just a case now of, when you're talking about trauma, you're talking about mental health, something that you live with all your life. Um, uh, medication is just allowing you to live with it. It's not making you any better. So it's up to you if, if, if you want to deal with it. It shouldn't be, here's antidepressants. Oh, they didn't work. Here's another set. Oh, they didn't. It normally takes three or four different tablets for someone with mental health problems to have the right medication. And that's where I used and found my own techniques to replace the, the medication and to find other ways of dealing with it. Uh, and that's where sort of other things come into it. Can you tell us about some of those techniques you used? The techniques were, I used the library. I've obviously over the years, like I say, 
because change didn't happen overnight and it was built up over the years, um, I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to look into to help me out. And those were, um, one was completely left field and only really turned up this time. And that was The Secret by Rhonda Byrne, which really does say that we're, we're, if you like, we're our own antenna. And whatever energies that we put out, we attract back. We're like magnets. We're, we're magnetic antennas. So, it, and it's about um, also our relationship with the universe that over the years, because of technology and the way things are done nowadays, we've lost our contact with the universe. We've lost our contact with external energies. I might be sounding like a right weirdo here that should be at Stonehenge on a summer's day, but um it's not about that it's about understanding who we are as individuals and we really do we do exude energy and we do have um moments where we're thinking positive and positive things happen we think negatively and we drop a glass then, then things really do happen we can think ourselves a positive life and we can think ourselves a negative life and then the other one, uh, transactional analysis, um, which explains that we are all an adult, a child, and a parent. Um, and then there was, and, and the child and the parent would always be at odds at each other. Well, of course they are, <laughs> with insiders. So it's the adult, it's the adult that will see things differently. So it's the adult that we try and attain uh, that, that personality, that attitude that we try and keep most of the time. Um, and then another one was um, Walter Michel, uh, the marshmallow test, which was all about delayed gratification. Uh, you'd, you'd have kids in a room with a marshmallow in front of them. If they waited an unspecified amount of time, they could have six marshmallows. Um, but the ones that couldn't wait only got the one marshmallow. So if you could delay that gratification, you got more. So that was another one that really had an effect on me. Um, and the other one was NLP, which is Neuro Linguistic Programming. Um, mm -hmm. But more to do with how it was created rather than the, the ins and outs of NLP. Um, so I, I suppose it all come down to uh, a positive, having a positive mental attitude thinking positively, um, staying the adult, <laughs> but knowing that it's going to take a little bit of time for the good things to happen. Um, and that was how I turned things around, I suppose, and away from medication. Those books become my tablets. And, um, and for me, one of the things that ruined that was medication, because medication just enables you to stay just enables you to be um you don't you, you get to a point where you rely on that medication um and and it, it just it numbs you it dumbs you down um it stops you it stops you thinking and it stops you sorting out the shit that you're taking the medication for in the first place <laughs> um it just it's horrible it just I'm so, I, I feel so much more alive without the medication that I'm on that you don't, I don't want, you, you become a slave to your medication. You really do. It's like, 
in a way that you're just replaced, where you become uh, a sort of victim of your trauma, you become a victim of your medication. It's like you, you just end up going through life as a victim unless you do something about it. And once you do something about it, in my own experience, the change around is just oh, astronomical. I, mean, I love life. I've, I've, I've never been on such a positive long, longevity of a journey, if you like. I mean, I've been out, what, just over three years now. And I love life. I, I, I just, yeah, I guess there are certain days. Of course there are. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's the same for anybody. We do get our up days and our down days. But it's 95% up, 5% down. Whereas before it's 5% up and 95% down. And 95, uh, and 90% of that 95% was because of the medication. When, when you don't deal with it and you kind of, if you like, try and obscure your own view of it you kind of then think you're the only one going through it that no one else will understand you so when i started working for the um when i started working when i become a mentor for shannon trucks which is a it's a charity that allows prisoners who can read to teach other prisoners who can't now obviously um must be quite difficult for someone to envisage one prisoner teaching another prisoner to read in a cell because um, well, hold on a minute that that that's kind of the type of behavior that shouldn't really take place in prison that behavior doesn't belong in prison surely that's the behavior that is part of society not part of prison because mm -hmm. I, as a I, I love prison um and i love prison for those reasons that the community spirit, the camaraderie, the, the, the togetherness that's brought on by them and us. And don't tell me them and us don't exist out in society. There's them and us in respect of the public and the government. There's them and us in respect of the public and the royal family. There's them and us in respect of public and the police. So there's always them and us that goes on in society just as much as in prison. But in prison, the us is more together. Um, so when when um when i started getting involved in these sort of situations or these roles if you like that enabled a one-to-one -one meaningful deep conversation deep meeting with another prisoner which when it was at first the shannon trust and it was teaching other prisoners to read or helping other prisoners, not teaching them, but helping them to read um you found that a lot of other things were coming into the were coming into the equation that stopped people from learning to read, learning to write, going to school. There's there's trauma that stops them from doing so. So you don't just end up teaching somebody to read. You become if that connection happens, you you then become their counsellor. Um, you become their confidant. And it's like, do you know why I can't read? When I used to go to school and I used to get this sentence wrong, the teacher used to hit me around the back of the head. So in the end, I just gave up. And it's and it's and it's things like that. And and it, and it could be something as 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 sort of small like that that starts it off. But once you build up that relationship between the mentor and the mentee, once that trust, that that trade of empathy, if you like, and that that 
that trusted bond, that bond of trust. Once that's been achieved and you start opening up with each other, you then start to realise, hold on a minute, I've got more in common with you than I thought. It's just other being behind the door. And then from, from I'm probably not explaining this well, but it, it, it's hard to explain it. Um, because it was, it was something, it was a process that happened. And it really did open my eyes. And then I heard, well, I knew about the listener scheme, which is run by the Samaritans. So then I went on to become, to start training as a listener. However, what happened was that because I suppose where I was uh, 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 helping somebody with their reading as a Shannon Trust mentor, and then when I was helping people with their deeper problems as a listener, um, it kind of not, not forced me to start dealing with my own stuff, but it, it was that... <laughs> I, I, do you know what? I, I, this is going to be really bizarre, but I was just going to say, I saw Jim Davidson a few years ago, it was, and he was doing this joke, he was doing this sketch, whatever it was, and he was on about wiping your bum once you've had a poo, and about checking the toilet paper. Now, I used to do that as a kid, and I thought I was the only person in the world that done that. So, um, and then it was like, you hear something like that, and you think, oh, I'm not the only one. And in a way, that's what that's what becoming uh, a mentor, a, 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 yeah, a mentor and a listener was like. It was like, oh my God, I'm not the only one this has happened to. So, you, in a way, you also start getting your own coping mechanism. So, because you talk, well, how did you cope with that? Oh, this is what I done, and this is what I done. So, that, 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 it, it, it just becomes you know, it just, an encouragement. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, that was what and why I love prison, because I was with my type of people. These were the people that I really enjoyed talking to, because we got each other. I didn't have to explain a feeling. I didn't have to um, describe an emotion. I could describe an event, and they get the rest. Does that make sense? So, so it's, we're all in it together. It was more... So for me, that was the beginning of the end of my trauma. Um, although it was the beginning of new traumas because I was trying to deal with stuff that I hadn't been dealing with before, that mm-hmm. had been compartmentalized. It was like I had stuff coming out from 30, 40 years ago. And it's like, oh, hold on a minute. So then it's, and I'm not going to lie, it was very different. I mean, I, I, my last suicide attempt was in 2009 whilst I was in prison and there were reasons behind that. Um, but I've never tried it since. Uh, there were not serious attempts. There were sort of that, I mean, 2009, I, I, I wanted to be dead. But then once um, I, I sort of saw the, the following year, I saw the clinical psychologist, um, and, and it, it, it was like a process, but it was a process that still had a few backward steps. It was like one step forward, two back, one forward, two back, until I was in that position that I was in. I was around someone's house out when it was three, four o'clock in the morning, out of a nut on drugs that had run out. 
we needed money. Geezer was worse than I was. And that was when my epiphany of what the frig am I doing here? Well, I'm going to, this is how rational to me, my, this is like, this is the irrational, rational thought I had. I can go out and commit a crime to get caught so that I can go back to prison whilst helping my mate out at the same time meant I needed money, armed robbery. It was quarter past seven in the morning, not many places open. Okay, that that one. And that's how it was. And then I went and done a robbery, got the money, gave my mate, the, he was worse than me, gave my mate the money, he sodded off, I got changed, went back out of the house to get myself caught so that I could go back to prison and sort my life out. Some people get away from society and go back into prison. I've been involved with the criminal justice system from the age of uh, 10 years old until I was, what, last year when I come off my license in April 2019. It's very difficult without knowing what the trauma is um, to be able to say, oh yeah, that would work, that would work, that would work. So again, it's like most things, treat people as individuals, treat their trauma as individual thing, and deal with it holistically, and you might actually fix the person. No, you know what, I can actually relate, because um, I, I've done that myself, I remember walking into a police station with a knife, and I said, look, just knock me up, because at the time, it was just thought, this is the answer, because I'm, I'm, I'm going for all these other channels, it's not working, so, and at that point, I'd never been to prison before, um, but I thought, you know what, let's give it a shot, and if I don't, if it doesn't work, at least it's an experience. And, uh, I, do you know what, right? One of the reasons, now, this, I'll tell you what, Ashley, because you just shared that with me, I'm going to share this with you. And I, I think this might be the first time that I've ever said this. But over the years. Um, pause that. Should I pause that? No, 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 no. Crack on. No, honestly, I don't mind this one. It's just, it's just yeah. that conversation. Look, I've had so much going on in my life that it's very difficult for me to remember everything to tell everybody. <laughs> So when things like this happen, it makes me smile because um, over the years, I haven't paid fines. Now, there are a number of reasons why I haven't paid fines. One of them is as simple as that. I haven't had the money. Other times, they've been there as backup. Because when you get put up for non-payment of fines, there's always a warrant out. They don't bother with warrants. So all I used to do is, I don't know, I used to walk into a police station and go, here, Gov, look. I think there's a warrant out. Oh yeah, you're right. I'm not going to jail for a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's it's. I I preferred prison as an environment, and I did society because I understood the people within that environment more, and the people within that environment understood me more, and I didn't have to go through life explaining myself. Why did you do that? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Instead, over the years, it's been like someone with a hat and chisel. I know why you've done that. I know why you've done that. Not, I want to do that for. Do you know what I mean? There's a difference with the prison system. It's like, <clears throat> but it comes down to you as an individual, though. I mean, if you go in there with a shit attitude, you can get a shit life. Um, and as a kid, I went in there with a shit attitude. Um, and I learned the hard way. Um, you, you didn't. They didn't have CNI in them days. I think they used, especially in detention centre, you just got bounced off every single wall there was until you got to the segregation unit. 
And if you've got a few cuts and bruises along the way, so be it. But um, fucking taught you a lesson. <laughs> it certainly taught you a lesson. But it taught, but it taught me a lesson in there. All of the lessons that I was learning in custody stayed in custody. They didn't come out with me. They, they, I just become. I gave less of a fuck out here, if that makes sense. It's like. This ain't life. This, this ain't life. What do you mean you run out of a... What, you're after a fag? Go down the shop and get some, mate. You can't do that in jail. <laughs> do you know, them sort of things. Do you know what I mean? It's like people out here take so much for granted, but then in there, you appreciate life more. It may, it's weird, isn't it? That, yeah, um, I agree. I definitely agree with you. Yeah, it, it, and it's like trivial things in there, really do become riots whereas out here you don't sweat the small stuff it's like a whole prison can go up over one Rizzler paper but then could you imagine a riot in Brixton starting over a Rizzler paper no I mean from a psychological point of view I've seen more empathy from murderers I've seen more um, generosity from burglars I see do you know what I mean it's just just because someone commits crime doesn't mean to say they're a bad person. It just means they may have something else going on in their life that means committing crime is a way out. Yeah. Whether that's to hide the trauma, or whether that their trauma has stopped them from getting an, an education, which has therefore stopped them from working, but they need to get the latest gadget. Therefore, the only way to get the latest gadget, if you haven't got an education, is to go out and get the money for it. And now you're going to go out and get, you're either going to work illegally or you're going to commit crime. 